It's a blessing to be here this morning and to have this opportunity to worship together with you and sing songs of praise together with you and blend our voices. We appreciate the invitation to come here and to spend some time with you today and to worship with you and talk to you for just a few moments from God's Word. I looked at my records and according to records I have, it's been about 12 years since I've uh, given a sermon here and so uh, looking forward to the opportunity today. Of course, we've been here and we know many of you and there's some that we don't know so well, so we look forward to meeting you guys as well. Uh, my family wanted to be here, but unfortunately my wife and, and one of my daughters is sick and so they had to stay home. Uh, but I'm glad I'm here and had the opportunity to be with you all. Uh, today I want to talk to you all for just a few moments about the topic of Solomon and accumulation is the title that I've chosen for this sermon this morning. If you look back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, we're going to read that in just a moment, so you can turn there if you'd like to. Back in Deuteronomy, God gave a commandment for the children of Israel that whenever they came into the promised land, this was before they had even entered the promised land, but when they were to come into the promised land and they decided to set up a king over them, that the king was supposed to be a certain person and to do certain things. And we're going to read about that in just a moment. And I want you to consider the fact that at this time, Israel wasn't ruled by kings, and they weren't ruled by kings for quite a while. There were judges after that uh, until finally they did have kings. But God told Israel that when they had a king, this was the kind of king that they should have, and this is the kind of things that he should do. So let's go ahead and read that. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. It's not going to be up on the board, uh, but you can read along with me if you'd like. Deuteronomy chapter 17, and we will start in verse... 14. Let me pull up my Bible up here. Starting in verse 14, it says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it, and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the, left, uh, from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So God warned the king, again, hundreds of years before there were kings, about certain things that he should gather and multiply or accumulate to himself and certain things that he shouldn't. And so we're going to talk about that this morning and consider these commandments in relation to one of the most famous kings of Israel, King Solomon, and what he did. He was one of the early kings in Israel, and he was given a great opportunity to glorify God in many ways, and, and let's see how he used that opportunity, whether or not he obeyed God, and how that turned out for him. And of course, if you're a student of the Bible, you're probably familiar with these things, but I think that if we look at this and consider them, we can learn a lot of lessons about the things that we gather for ourselves in our life and how it can impact us and how it can change us and how it can control our heart. So let's consider 
before we talk about Solomon specifically, more specifically what the commandments were back in Deuteronomy. First of all, the king was commanded not commanded not to accumulate many horses for himself. Well, why not? Why can't a king gather many horses? It seems like that would be the right of a king to gather many horses. Well, there's a recurring theme in the Bible that if a king were to accumulate many horses and a large army, that he would trust in that army and that military rather than in God to fight his battles and therefore would be lifted up with pride thinking that he could win all these military battles instead of trusting in God to take care of them. Psalms 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So someone who gathered a lot of horses and a lot of chariots would start to trust in those things, or that would be a natural reaction to that. If we have the greatest military power, we're going to think that we're going to be able to win all the battles, and we're not going to trust in God. We're going to trust in the strength of our military. Isaiah 31 verse 1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So again, this theme that if you have horses and you have this military, you're not going to trust God to win and fight your battle. So the God, God told the king not to accumulate many horses. Because if you were, then he'd be trusting in himself. He'd be lifting himself up with pride. This is a, a thing of the world. The Bible talks about things of the world in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. He says, Do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So he mentions three things here that are worldly things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he says if you love these things, then you're not loving God like you should. And for the king to accumulate many horses, it would be a way to lift himself up with pride. It would be the pride of life. And it could potentially come in between him and serving and loving God like he should. So this correlates to the pride of life. The king was also commanded not to gather many wives. Why? Why can't the king gather many wives? I believe this is also a worldly thing. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes. We'll talk about it in more detail. But I believe this correlates to the lust of the flesh. And I'll explain that in just a moment. The king was also commanded not to accumulate much silver and gold. Why? Why can't a king accumulate silver and gold? Another thing that it seems like it would be natural for a king to be able to do that. Well, the Bible indicates that if we have much wealth, we can become greedy and we can start trusting in those riches and we can start wanting and desiring more and more so that we're not uh, trusting in God, we're not loving God. It's a worldly thing which correlates to the lust of the eyes. In fact, Solomon himself says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 11, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase... They increase to eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? You know, you can gather a lot of wealth and you can get so much money and so many things that eventually you get to the point where you don't really need anything and, and you've got nothing really new or unique a lot of times. Or maybe if it is unique, you know, it's kind of useless. <laughs> and so all it is is something pretty for you to look at. It's a lust of the eyes. And that's the way it was for those who gathered a large amount of wealth. So these three commandments for the king, not to accumulate many horses, not to accumulate many wives, not to accumulate many, uh, much silver and gold, correlates very well and closely to the things of the world described in 1 John 2, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the, uh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
these things that can turn someone's heart away from serving God and toward things in the world. And finally, the Bible says the king was required to, to make and write a copy of the book of the law. Why would the king have to write a copy of the book of the law? Well, he says there so that he would not be lifted up above his brethren, so that he would remember the statutes, so that he would follow them. Obviously, he would be able to encourage his kingdom to follow those statutes, so he would not forget God and the commandments given to them. I think it's interesting that God tells the king that he has to write a copy of the book of the law, not read a copy of the book of the law, not listen to someone read it to you, but he says to write it. And I think that there's a lot of benefit that comes from writing scripture. And this is just kind of an aside here, but if you think about reading scripture or listening to scripture, if we listen to like uh, the Bible on audiobook on tape, and I think that that's a good thing. That's something we can do and should do. We should read the Bible. But writing it is even more involved than listening or reading because we involve several parts of our senses. We involve our eyes to be able to see. We use our body. We use our sense of touch to actually write those things. If we're listening to someone dictate it, then we're using our ears. We can't just mindlessly let it flow through us as we sometimes do when we listen to something. Or even when we're reading, we have to be active and think about what we're writing. God wanted to make sure that the things that were commanded of the king were going to be truly a part of him, were something that he was going to internalize and something he was going to truly follow, not just listen to and let it go away. He had to write those things. And we think about what God commanded the king to do and compare that to the life of Solomon. And I'll see that I believe we're going to see that Solomon failed in many ways and it led to a lot of trouble in his life. Solomon, after he became king, was asked of God what he wanted to be blessed with or how he would like to be blessed. And Solomon replied that he wanted to be blessed in such a way that he would have wisdom to be able to discern uh, judgment amongst his people. And God was pleased with that answer. And his response to that in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11 through 14, says, Then God said, And because you have asked this thing, and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your word. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I also have given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there should be not, uh, not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." And so what did God say? He said, well, you haven't asked for riches. And you haven't asked for the life of your enemies. And you haven't asked for a long life. And you haven't asked for power and all these things. You've asked for wisdom. And he was pleased with that answer. He says, because you've asked that, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And I'm going to give you all these other things too. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you the life of many of your enemies. I'm going to give you a long life. And, and so I want you to think about the situation that Solomon was in. He was set up. Imagine that you're Solomon and God says you're going to have riches. No one's going to be rich like you. You're going to have power. You're going to have a long life. You're going to have all the things that you might want and desire. Wouldn't that be amazing if God came to you and told you that you would receive all these blessings? You're going to have the ability to lead and to, to have wisdom. That would be pretty amazing. And Solomon had that opportunity. But we must always remember that any time we have blessings from God, we must utilize them to the glory of God. With great blessings comes also great responsibility. 
So Solomon had all these opportunities, and he had the opportunity to use them either to glorify God or glorify himself. And we'll see what he did. We think about the fact that God gave him a lot of these things, but as we'll see in just a moment, it's not so much about what we have, it's about how we use it. It tells us that the king was not to accumulate many horses. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 26 through 28, says, shows us how Solomon basically violated this commandment very, uh, very directly. It says, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And verse 28 says, And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt. And Kiva, the, Lord's mer- uh, the king's merchants, brought them in, bought them in Kiva at the current price. God told him not to accumulate horses. He told him not to go to Egypt to get horses. And what did he do? He got 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horsemen. He says that he stationed them in the chariot cities. I guess they had a whole city just for chariots. I don't know. But he had a huge amount of horses. He had a huge army. He violated what God told him to do. God told him not to gather many horses. But he didn't. Instead of doing that, he could have trusted in God to be able to fight the battles of Israel instead of trusting in his army. Instead of accumulating many horses, he could have trusted that God would be able to be with them if they ever were against and faced enemies of Israel. He could have remembered people like Gideon, who with 300 men was able to defeat the armies of the Midianites, a vast number. Why? Because they were strong and they had horses? No, because God was on their side and God was with them. Instead, he trusted and he lit himself up with pride and created a vast army in a relatively peaceful time in Israel's history, violating the commandment that God had given him. The king was also commanded not to accumulate many or much silver and gold. We know that Solomon did this as well. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14 says, The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. That's a lot of gold. Uh, and I've done some rough math, and it's hard to ascertain the exact value of certain measurements back in those days. But according to the calculations that I did, that amount of gold in one year would be worth over $1.3 billion in today's money. $1.3 billion came in every year just in gold. He accumulated a ton of gold, a lot of gold. Again, directly violating what God told the king to do. But what could he have done instead of that? You know, we, we just talked about the fact that God said, I'm going to bless you with riches. I'm going to give you these things. So was it wrong for him to take in the things that God gave him? Of course, it's not wrong to receive the blessings that God gives us. But it's important that when we receive them, we use them to the glory of God and not to enrich ourselves. Solomon, instead of accumulating and storing these vast quantities of wealth, could have used them to help his people. And Solomon did this to some degree. He completed the the temple. He had work on the wall in the city. You know, whenever there's a lot of wealth in the economy, it helps everyone, it seems. It says that silver was like rocks in the kingdom during that time. It was just so useless because there was so much of it. So Solomon did that to some degree, but he also gathered a lot for himself and kept it for himself. He lived a very lavish lifestyle. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Solomon himself says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. 
I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. He says, anything I wanted, I got, and I kept, and I gathered. And, I, and he wanted a lot, and he gathered a lot, and he kept a lot. He accumulated much gold and silver, and he kept it for himself. You know, there was a documentary I saw a part of it one time where there was this famous singer, and he was going through an art museum, an art gallery, and he would just point at different pieces of art, you know, sculptures and paintings, and say, I want that, and I want that, and, and oh, that looks great. I'm going to bring that in my house. And so he would point it, and someone behind him would write it down, and later he would buy it. And he didn't worry about what the cost was. It didn't matter to him what the cost was. He was so rich that he could just get whatever he wanted. And that's how I imagine Solomon was. He didn't have to worry about money one bit. Anything he wanted, he could afford it, and he got it. And he gathered it, and he kept it for himself. The Bible tells us, and I want to read this, so I want to make sure I get it exactly right. He built himself either multiple houses or a great house, one part of which was 11,250 square foot in floor space and 45 feet tall. So this massive, massive open space, he filled this space with food for his people. No, he, he filled it with 500 targets and shields made out of gold. 500 targets and shields made out of gold. Gold is a very pliable metal. It's, it's useless in battle. It's not going to be a good target or shield. It's just decorations. 500 of them. How much could one of those targets or shields have fed his people? But that's what he wasn't worried about. He was worried about gathering more and more stuff. The Bible says he built himself a throne of ivory. He covered it in gold with steps leading up to it and 12 lions on the steps. The Bible says that all his drinking vessels were made out of gold. And he was the richest king in all the earth. You know, Solomon didn't have to do that. Solomon could have taken the things that God gave him and used them to bless others. And that's one of the great opportunities and blessings. We live in a very rich nation. We have a lot of things. We can use the things that God has given us to help other people and therefore glorify him. Solomon didn't have to have 500 shields of gold. He could have helped his people. It reminds me of the example of the, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. And you've probably heard this example before, but if you, uh, I don't have a whiteboard on there, but if you, if you look in your Bibles, and I knew a guy who talked about someone who really knew their Bible really well. He knew it from cover to cover, from Genesis to maps. So if you'll turn to the book of maps and look in there, you're going to see the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River that flows through it in Israel. And the Jordan comes in from the north and goes into the Sea of Galilee and it flows out again in the south and heads down the Jordan River to the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea and it stops there and it doesn't go out anywhere. It just stays there in the Salt Sea. It has no natural outlet. So over the course of time there's uh, evaporation. The sun evaporates some of that water out and leaves behind all the things that flowed in with the water in the Jordan River, the salts and the brine and the minerals and all those things, and they're just deposited there and left in the salt sea, and so there's an equilibrium where it becomes very, very salty, something like 30-something percent salt. 
So the Dead Sea is, is very, very salty. And as a result, almost nothing can live there. The Sea of Galilee is, is not the, that way. It, it's the same part, the same you know, water system. But the difference is the Sea of Galilee takes in the water and then it gives it back out again. The Salt Sea, on the other hand, just takes and it takes and it takes and it doesn't give it back out. And along with the water, all the pollutants and all the salt and all the minerals that come in it start to accumulate and start to fill and start to turn into brine and it kills everything. And that's exactly the way our hearts can be if we fill it with ungodly things, with things of the world, or we fill our lives with blessings and we don't utilize them to the glory of God. All the pollutants and all the things in the world that come along with it will start to build up until eventually our heart will be turned away from God because we're not using the blessings that God has given us to His glory. So we should take a lesson from the Sea of Galilee and the Salt Sea and be like the one who takes in the blessings and also gives them out and uses them to the glory of God. Not like Solomon, not like the Dead Sea who just seemed to take, 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 tax his people to get more and more and not use them to glorify God and help his people. The Bible says that the king was commanded not to accumulate many wives. We know that Solomon did this. 1 Kings chapter 11, 1-5 says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So, we mentioned that this is a worldly thing which correlates to the lust of the flesh. Solomon had many wives. Why did he have to have so many wives? Well, there's probably a political reasoning behind it. If you were to marry the daughter of a foreign king, those kings would be united in a way, and they, they, might, not, they might have some kind of treaty and not fight each other. But... The scripture says that Solomon clung to these in love. It was obvious that Solomon loved women. And it was not, it seems, that he wanted to have these wives so that he could develop a close romantic relationship with them that a husband and wife ought to have, the connection, the love that Christ has for the church that nourishes and cherishes his wife. Why? Because he had so many, he wouldn't have had time for that. He wouldn't have been able to build that kind of relationship with that many women. So it wasn't for that reason that he wanted these women. I think it's obvious he loved women. He had a lust, a desire to fulfill the lust of his flesh. And so he gathered all these women, he gathered all these people, and they became his wives, and they turned away his heart, away from serving God and serving these false gods. And it seemed inevitable that one of these three things would turn away his heart, if not a combination the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You cannot love the things of the world and love God like you should. And Solomon paid the price. His heart was turned away. He started worshiping these false gods. And God said, you know what? Because you've stopped worshiping like you should, I'm going to tear your kingdom in two. I'm not going to do it while you're alive for the sake of David, your father. But after you die, your kingdom is going to be rent in two. And it was. And there was a major political problem in Israel as a result of this. 
we must take a lesson from Solomon and learn from his mistakes, not to accumulate the things in our life that would turn our hearts away from God, but rather accumulate and fill our hearts and our lives with things that are going to glorify God and are going to help us in our relationship with him. So I want to talk as we continue in the sermon about a few things that we might accumulate today in this life, in our day and age, that could turn our hearts away from God if we're not careful. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that just like Solomon gathered much wealth, our wealth can be something that could turn our hearts away from God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things that we surround ourselves with and fill our lives and set before our eyes are eventually going to own our heart. Why? Because we pursue them and we seek them and we desire them. Instead of desiring God, instead of desiring His Word, instead of desiring spiritual things, we want more and more and more stuff and worldly things. And eventually it owns our heart. Brother Michael has a sermon called Cumulative Effect. And he talks about how little things over time become big things. You know, sometimes we have a big meal during Thanksgiving, and I'm overweight, and it wasn't because of one or two big meals in Thanksgiving that, that I became overweight. It was lots of times that I ate a little bit too much over a long period of time, and eventually I became overweight. It was an extra cookie at potluck or whatever. You know, a little bit over a long period of time can create a much bigger issue. And that's the way it is for lots of things in our lives. We don't realize how the things that we desire can slowly sometimes, and without us even realizing it, turn our heart away from serving God. Certainly riches can do that. Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We accumulate vast stores of riches and do not use them to the glory of God. It's going to be difficult for us to love God and trust Him. It's going to create all sorts of problems in our life. And that's what the Bible tells us very clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It says that it's, it's a trap. It's going to snare our hearts. It's going to create a problem for us. You know, we live in a very rich nation. We live in a place where many of us have much wealth, especially compared to other places. And I want to make clear, I don't believe the Bible teaches that it's wrong for us to have wealth. It's not wrong to have money. And I don't even think it's wrong for us to re- plan on a retirement and have a retirement fund and, and, and plan for the future. I think that's wise for us to do that. But if all we do with the blessings that God gives us is store up more and more and more for ourselves, and that's our focus, and that's our goal, and that's our reason basically for living, whether we realize it and admit it to ourselves or not, is just to get more money and to plan on retiring and traveling and living our lives the way we want to rather than glorifying God, then we've got a problem. And then we need to start thinking about making sure that we're using the blessings God has given us to bless others and glorify Him. We always need to have that mindset to give to others and to give liberally. 
Verse Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. This is a commandment from God. He says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Again, he doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. But he does say it's wrong to to be selfish and to be greedy and to trust in those things and not use them to the glory of God and not use them to give to others and help other people. We need to make sure that we're not letting our riches and the things that we have turn our heart away from serving God as we should. It's very easy for us to do that even if we don't realize it. And it builds up over time and eventually our heart can be torn away from us to things of the world because we're seeking out the almighty dollar rather than the almighty God. What else? What about friendships with the world and relationships with people in the world? We know that we live in the world and we have relationships with people in the world and that we can't go out of the world. The Bible is very clear about that. We're going to have relationships. We're going to have acquaintances. We're going to have neighbors. But who are our true friends and who do we spend most of our time with and who do we associate with in our life? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. A while back, I was able to volunteer a, a local organization, and, and I was able to speak to a group of, of teenage boys uh, once a week on different issues of morality, and I talked about our relationships, the friendships that we have, and I asked these, these kids, do you think it matters who you hang out with and who your friends are? Are they going to influence you either to do good or do, do wrong? Are they going to influence your morals? And many of them said it didn't matter who they hung out with. Because they were their own person and they could resist those influences of other people. But that's not true. We cannot be deceived and think that we will not be influenced by the things and the people that we surround ourselves with. Things that we have in our life. Be very careful about who we spend our time with. Who our friends are. Who we associate with. It's, again, not wrong necessarily to have friends and have people in the world that we're close to who are not Christians or not moral, but we need to use those relationships to be able to influence them to serve God and not the other way around. And when it comes to who we really spend our closest time with and who we're closest to in our life, we need to make sure that we have the kind of relationships with fellow Christians that are going to influence us to do good, that are going to encourage us and help us because we can help one another and that's a great blessing. And it will go a long way in helping us keep our heart in serving God rather than things of the world. What about entertainment? The music we listen to, the television shows we watch, the movies that we see, the, the concerts we go to, the books that we read, these things that we use to spend our free time with, hobbies, sports, fishing, whatever it may be. How do we spend our time? And are those things things that are going to help us glorify God we're going to turn our heart away from God. Again, entertainment is not necessarily wrong in and of itself, but we need to think about the things that we fill our life with and how those influences can impact us. And there's many opportunities for entertainment and ways to spend our free time out there today. But are we using the blessings that God has given us of having brothers and sisters in Christ that we can spend time with and people that we can associate with, gospel meetings, singings, 
Bible studies, fellowship, opportunities to grow in our relationships, time spent in God's Word. Is that, is that how we spend our free time? Or is it in things of this world? You know, some of the fondest memories I have that are going to last for a lifetime are times that I spent with brothers and sisters of Christ. They're much more meaningful than any kind of concert I might attend or sporting event or movie I might watch or anything else that's a worldly thing that's not going to last. See, this is eternal. The things of the world are not, and they're going to pass away. This is what's most important. Are you filling your life with spiritual things and spiritual time rather than mindless things that are not really going to matter in the long run? What about lustful things? You know, we may not have a thousand wives today, or a thousand husbands, I suppose, but there are ways to fulfill the lust of the flesh in ways that people in times past were not able to nearly as easily. And one of those is through pornography, and that's something that many people struggle with. And it is a problem that plagues many lives and many churches even. It's relatively private. It's relatively easy to access. And it can turn people's heart away from serving God. It is a major problem. It is a way to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, and I want to be clear. I know that this is something that many people struggle with. So I want to be compassionate about that. But as a Christian, there's just simply no place for that in our life. No place to fulfill those lusts of the flesh. And they will creep into your heart and create all sorts of issues for you. Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Cut it out of your life. Put it to death in your life. It can so easily creep in and turn your heart away from God. And there's just no place for it. And if you struggle with this, if this is something that you or someone you know is struggling with, I encourage you to seek out somebody who is a spiritual person who can hold you accountable and who can help you, who can encourage you, who can pray with you, who can study the Bible with you and do all the things that can, you can, they can do to help you mortify, as the King James Version says, these ungodly things out of your life. It's so easy to be caught up in these things and let them turn you away from God. Don't let that happen to you. And if it is, seek out help to overcome that. But instead of accumulating all these evil things we've talked about, or all these evil influences, what sort of things should we accumulate? What sort of things should we fill our lives with? Remember, what did God tell the king to do? Write a copy of the book of the law. Study his word. Godly things are going to help us keep our heart in the right place. Godly friendships, joyful experiences, God's word, the Bible tells us in Psalms 119, verse 11, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you regularly and often study God's word? Do you have a plan to do so? Do you grow in your commitment to God and your knowledge of his will? Do you spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you go to gospel meetings? Do you go to singings? Do you go to Bible studies? Do you fellowship with one another? Do you spend time in the word? And if not, then why not? That's the kind of things we ought to fill our life with because those are going to keep our hearts pointed in the direction of God rather than the things of this earth. It's so easy for us to be looking down at the things of this world and the riches and the pleasures and the desires and the pride of this life. They can fill our whole heart and fill our whole mind and fill our whole lives and own our heart if we don't, if we don't stop it, if we don't 
if we let it. Therefore, we must combat that desire. Combat the desire to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And one of the great ways that we can do that is by not letting there be any room for it. By filling our heart with godly things, with spending our free time with fellow Christians or studying God's word or pondering and thinking about spiritual things. By using the blessings that God has given us to glorify Him, to help other people be like the Sea of Galilee, taking in the blessings and giving them back out again rather than filling our life with ungodly things. And I encourage you this, this morning as we close to think about the way that you spend your time, your talent, your treasure, your efforts. Where is your heart? Is it in this world or is it with God? If it's in this world, then what is it that's owning your heart? Is it lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, combination, something in your life that's keeping you from serving God as you should? I encourage you, if that's the case, whatever it may be, even if it's difficult, cut it out. And replace it with godly things. Spend time in His Word. Spend time with brothers and sisters. Spend time in prayer. Fill your heart with spiritual things. Lay not up yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up yourselves treasures in heaven. Because the things that you desire, the things that you, that you love, are going to own your heart. Whether that be God or whether it be things of the world. Don't be like Solomon. Don't accumulate ungodly things, but accumulate godly things in your life. And this morning, if you struggle with this, if there's something in your life that's keeping you from serving God as you should, we want to pray with you and for you. It's a great blessing that God has given you to have brothers and sisters in Christ who can help you, who can encourage you. Again, we talked about how with every blessing comes a responsibility. You have to seek us out. and We want to help you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray with you. We want to hold you accountable if that's needed. Let us do that for you this morning. If you're struggling with something, you want the prayers of your brother, you want the help and support of your brothers and sisters to help you in your spiritual walk, we can pray with you and for you. We can help you. If you're not a Christian this morning, you haven't accepted the salvation and the freedom that comes from having your sins washed away through Christ, what a great blessing you have. Christ gave up so much in leaving heaven to come to this world, to live as a man, to live a perfect sinless life, to die for our sins. He didn't keep the, the blessings for himself. He gave of himself. He sacrificed himself. What a great blessing. But with great blessing comes great responsibility. We have a responsibility to respond to that, to obey that, to turn to him, to follow the steps which are necessary, to become a Christian, and turn and live our life following him. And if you haven't done that, you have that responsibility. But the blessing and the benefit from that is far outweighs the cost. Take advantage of that today. We can help you. So if you desire to become a Christian today or you want the prayers of the church, let us help you. Come forward and sit in the front row as we stand and sing the song which has been selected.